back of the room, kind of about where Gary's sitting over there and just listening to them singing. And they were singing that song that, Lord, I need you. You can't listen to that song without, without it doing something to you. Before it becomes your song and it becomes your prayer. Can you imagine, just for a second, if you will, what your, your relationship with God would be without music? Can you imagine, I mean, what a church service would be like without music? I mean, would we just stand up and read? <laughs> Ain't no rock going to stand in my place. As long as I'm alive. You know, it wouldn't be long before a rhythm would start developing, like it or not. I have titled my message this morning, Nine Months Without a Song. Let's go to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 40. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And um, by the way, Melinda, I came up here without a clicker. I don't know if you can want to follow or not. But uh, 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 anyway, whatever's easiest. Psalms chapter 40 in verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined, inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he has set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. I This this phrase is very thought-provoking to me where it says to sing a, a new song. And even though this phrase is uh, used di nine different times in the, in the Bible, uh, mainly in the Psalms and, and then Revelation, I especially like this one here. This one here, because it words it such a way, he says that he, God, God put a new song in my mouth. Now, when it says to sing a new song, God put a new song in my mouth. I do not believe in any way that God is putting down the idea of singing old songs. Okay? He is not saying that contemporary songs are better to sing than oldie moldies. I believe that what he is saying here, especially in the idea of that he put a new song in my uh, mouth, he says, I believe he's saying that we should have a new reason to sing. We should find a new reason to sing. And if you start looking at the work of God, you will have a new reason to sing. And I believe it will naturally result in our expressing our emotions and putting our thoughts together, even in the form of music. And so when he says to have a new song to sing, he's saying have a new reason to sing. Now, by the way, with the title of this sermon, Nine Months Without a Song, I'm going to tell you here now, you're not going to understand the point, the, uh, what this is all about until the end of the sermon. So, oh well. Uh, when, so 
So when God said he put a new song in my mouth, he's not saying God inspired him to go into a room and write a new song. You know, go into his, his closet and, you know, with the guitar and starts, you know, trying to come up with a chord progression, trying to come up with lyrics that uh, make sense. You know, he's not saying that. Um, now, God, it says through this section here, brought him out of a pit of destruction and sat him on a rock. Guess what? We have no idea what he was writing about. What event in his life? I mean, you can go back and try to guess if you want, but uh, lots of luck. Uh, but we know that David went through a lot of tough times, right? And we could actually attribute this to, to a lot of different things that happened in his life. Um, and so uh, now we, we come to ourselves and ask this question, what has God given you to sing about. What in your life has God done for you that has put a, a song in your heart that has, has brought you to that, that highest point of motivation? Think of the athlete and all he does. It is for what? Ultimately, so he can get a trophy? You know, We've all got trophies sitting on a shelf. Was that the, what we did it for? Was that trophy? No, it's ultimately more than that. It's that euphoria that comes from, from a victory. Okay? So we can talk about that. We can talk about our motivation um, that, that comes even as, as a student in seeing that A+. Plus. Or in my case, the euphoria came with like B+. Plus. Uh, <laughs> We, we think of our highest motivation even as a, as a Christian. What is our highest motivation as a Christian? Um, to have a mansion with a golden driveway with a lawn we don't have to mow. <laughs> no. It is to hear the words, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. In that feeling, that song that expresses itself and just comes out of you. You know, to have that moment of, of euphoria. I wanted to try to find a picture for you. I wanted to find a picture for you of, of this of euphoria and what it's like. And so I went back. Okay? I went way back. Way, way back. Okay? And maybe you'll get what I'm talking about here.
that euphoria, that thrill, that thrill that comes because we look at our Lord and what he's done for us. What makes your soul sing? Psalms chapter 40 and verse 5, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare to you. I would declare and speak of them. And they would, if I had declared and speak of them, they would be too numerous, numerous to count. God, through these wonders, has called us to rejoice. First of all, to rejoice. And in looking at this, what we're going to do is we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the Old Testament to look at what happened with the nation of Israel coming out of slavery, crossing the Red Sea, and having looked at them come to the other side with that song that they sang. And let's begin with this song and look at this song that they sang. Exodus chapter five, 15 and verse 1. Exodus 15, 1. And the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The Lord and its rider, he is hurled into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider has fallen into the sea. Uh, the Lord is my strength, and he's my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God. I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. And the choicest officers are drowned in the sea, in the Red Sea. And the deep covers them. And I love this phrase. And they go down to the depths like a stone. <laughs> 
I personally wondered how many of them bobbled, uh, came up and started bobbling. But anyway, and then you skip a little further down and you remember, of course, Miriam. And Miriam, as a result of coming through that Red Sea, what did she do? Verse 20, Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out with her with the timbrels and were dancing and Miriam answered er, answered them sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted the Lord or the horse and the rider he is hurled into the sea there was a reason to sing think of that the moment of of you know, having gone through the sea, and yes, the excitement of that, but now the fear is Pharaoh is chasing you. Pharaoh and his army is chasing you right behind you, going through, through that same sea. And then all of a sudden it got real still. And then you heard a sound, and it sounded like waves crashing, which is exactly what it, what it was. And then the deathly silence, you just watch the, the events happen. The, the, the water covers the army. And then silence turns into, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? I love Exodus chapter 19, Exodus 19, all these talking about the same events. It says, the third month, uh, verse 1, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, and when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain of God. And God went up to the mountain, and the Lord called to him on the mountain and said, that says you shall say to the house of Israel, you have yourselves, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Yeah. And what? And what? Why did we watch that? And God said, I bore you on eagle's wings. I mean... Imagine the thrill of God, even as that thrill of that, that eagle was, was, I mean, doing all these maneuvers and taking him down water skiing and, you know, just the fun of, of that relationship. And he says, I bore you on eagle's wings and I, and I brought you to myself. Now then. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine. So I want to ask you this. What kind of things make your heart sing? What kind of things make you like a, like a child on Christmas morning? What makes the, the joy inside of you want to erupt like that first kiss? What kind of things uh, uh, causes this euphoria? Now, to me, you know, the things that make my heart sing, okay, all center around Colorado Rocky Mountains. 
Colorado Rocky Mountain High. Uh -huh. Let me tell you, that's what makes my heart sing, to be in those mountains, the, the wild, the woods, to be out there um, in the, that beauty, the, I mean, just jaw-dropping scenes everywhere you look. Now, you, Tina, you ask her that question, what makes your heart sing? And to her, it's the oceans. No, 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 no. Not the beautiful sunset on the beach. No, 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 no. It's crashing waves against rocks that makes her heart sing. But you see, we're not talking about what makes your heart sing. We're asking you what makes your soul sing in your relationship with God. What kind of things are there? Um, Exodus chapter 18 Starting in verse 8, here Moses' father-in-law comes to visit him and brings with him Moses' wife and his children. And um, then it says in verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that he had befallen them on the journey and how the Lord had delivered them. Then just Jethro, what a name, right? Then Jethro... Rejoice over all the over all the goodness that the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when he, dealt, uh, when he dealt proudly against the people. What made the impression on him? The goodness. The goodness of God. The other day I had the honor and thrill of being able to be there to witness when Beth Morford was born into Christ. I don't know why that just got to me. I don't know if it was because of seeing seeing that event through Lissa's eyes, my daughter's eyes, and knowing the 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 role that, that, that she had played through, through all of that. I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was just the simplicity and beauty of Beth's prayer. But as I, as I listened to that and I was there and I watched that, all I could think of is how good God has been. And we, we, we know that is true in our lives, how good God has been. And that's the reason we sing. If you know the words of this song, sing it with me. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. 
With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. Jesus says, I came that they could have life and that they could have it abundantly. There's actually a prophecy. This is kind of a cool section, you know, back there in the books of the prophets, back in Jeremiah. There's really cool section. And this is actually a prophecy of the church. So it's a prophecy of what things would be like for, for us. And it's found over in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 11. And it says, for the Lord has ransomed Jacob. That is another name for Israel, Israel being the people of God. So this is talking in prophecy about us, and he's redeemed us from the hand of him who was stronger than he. Satan, yeah. And they will come and they will shout for joy on the height of Zion. That's where the temple was located. And they will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the and over the new wine and over the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd and their life will be like a watered garden and they will never languish again. Then the virgin will rejoice in the dance and the young man and the old together for they will turn their mourning. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. I will fill the soul of the priests with abundance. My people will be satisfied with my goodness. Declares the Lord. We are called to rejoice. Specifically to rejoice in that goodness. We are also called, moving on, we are also called into faith. Here God caught them on eagle's wings, lifted them up, and he brought them to himself. You remember that? To himself. And I, I want to read Exodus 19 and starting in verse 16. This is a word picture. 1916, so it came about in the third day when it was morning, and there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, Mount Sinai, and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Let that sink in. Hey, can I introduce you to somebody here? This, this, I've known this guy for a long time. He and I, were, we go way back. Here, um, he brought them out to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai 
All in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. And smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. You see, they weren't just called to leave slavery. They weren't just called into a better life. They were called into a different relationship. A relationship that began with trying to understand who is this God? Now, Deuteronomy, Moses retells the events of Genesis, I mean of Exodus numbers and uh, Exodus numbers, and what he does is in going back, sometimes he gives us new details. Deuteronomy chapter 32, he's going back and giving new details. Genesis, or Deuteronomy 32, verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. That's what God did it for. Why, why would God do something? He did it for you so that he could possess, inherit you Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land. In the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. You ever wonder where that statement come from? Not grandma. Uh, and then he says in verse 11, catch this, like an eagle that stirs up its nest that hovers over its young. He spread his wings and he caught them and he carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him and there was no foreign God with him. So think about this picture, word picture going even, even further, one step further. It says that God began as that mother eagle would by going and Stirring up its nest. And doing so to bring them to himself. Now, what was it as far as the events are concerned that God did that would picture him stirring up the nest? Okay. Now, by the way, in, in thinking about this, we got to go back and realize that even though, yes, um, the Israelites hated slavery, they didn't want to be slaves, okay? They weren't, there's no love in that. So I believe that the nation of Israel was complacent in their relationship with God the way it was. And so God came along and began to stir the nest. And one plague after another, after another, and after another. Think about this. Do you realize it was not very long into those plagues when Pharaoh said, I had enough. Okay, uncle, you can just leave. Go ahead that he was ready to let him go. But God hardened his heart. 
So he wouldn't let him go. Why? He wasn't doing those plagues for Pharaoh's sake. He was doing those plagues to show Israel who he was. To see what kind of God that they were serving. To see his, his power, his majesty. And so one after another, the, as a mother eagle, he stirred that nest of their complacency. And then he swooped down and caught them on his pinion. And what is a pinion? <laughs> I am no expert on eagles or chickens or birds, birds of any kind. <laughs> Did you see hear that thing with the PGA uh, for, for Augusta? That Augusta National, biggest golf tournament in the world, the Masters, the whole thing. That uh, they were, um, um, the PGA was exposed because, are you ready for this? They were piping bird sounds in the background of their broadcast to make people believe that the birds were actually there singing. And how was it? It's because one guy listening to those birds realized that the bird sound he was hearing was not found in Augusta, Georgia. That's being an expert. So anyway, um, I am no expert on eagles, but I am told that a mother eagle will come along and will stir up the nest Breaking up the nest of, of comfort, of security, and will actually go so far, it's been observed, to take and push this young off of the ledge, only to swoop down and catch them. Now, by the way, it is also observed how caring, how loving and caring that a mother eagle is to her young. And so this was not something that was done out of, uh, yeah, uh, anyway, this was not a bad thing. It was for a good reason. And so what we find is that it will catch the young on its back and will carry them, teaching that young eagle how to fly. This blows my mind to think of how that could be. But that's what God did for you. Now, I got a question. What would be the modern day equivalency of, of this occurring? <laughs> Stirring up the nest. You know, I found myself thinking at that time, my, uh, my children, um, most of them at some point in time, they moved out of the house, and then they ended up coming back for one reason or another. And um, anyway, my, and, you know, I want to be compassionate. I want them to help them, you know, and this and that, and help them get on their feet. And so my son Devin moved out, and then he moved back. Things were good, and finally he got a good job, and he was comfortable and he was living pretty high and Tina was doing his laundry and uh, he was eating our food and and you know I I kind of felt like the day came no I didn't throw his mattress out on the front porch no 
But I did say, you know, son, you know, I think, you know, being a part of this family, it might be a good idea for you to want to start contributing to this family. And I charged him rent. I know I'm heartless. It's amazing. It is so amazing. Within two months, he and a buddy of his had uh, found this apartment together. They moved in and they were great. Uh, you know, so, so what is a modern day equivalent of God stirring up your nest? You know, we call it tough love. Perhaps you go to work tomorrow and discover that your job is being downsized. Maybe you're driving home on the way from church today and find somebody sideswipes you in your car. Maybe you hear those words that are most dreaded words to be heard. It is cancer. I believe it is so easy for us to become complacent in our walk with God. Yeah. And I believe sometimes God, out of tough love, feels like he has no choice but to stir up that nest and show us once again what kind of God we really serve, who he really is, how powerful he is, so that through those circumstances that he could be once again glorified in our lives. Maybe God needs to stir up our nest. I want to challenge you. You want this to happen, I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. And it's going to happen with one simple prayer. My challenge is for you to go pray this prayer. Lord, help me to grow. As you look at your life and feel that complacency, like something is missing, that God, I know, I know that I, I need more of you in my life. Just say that. Help me to pray. God, help me to grow. And then hold on tight. Hold on tight. I cannot imagine the thoughts of that boy falling with that cliff below. I've gone skydiving twice, but I had a parachute. <laughs> Only to find that God would catch him. God calls us into faith. God causes us to sing, to rejoice in song. God also calls us to obey. To obey, lastly, I want to read the verse again. We've read it before. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. We read that part there. Let's keep reading. This is Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. And you shall be a me, to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And these are the words you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came out and called all the elders of the people and set before them all of these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yes, Lord, I will obey. 
I'm working for Bluebell Ice Cream now. <laughs> for the first time in 20 years, I am now employed. See, before I was always independent in more ways than one. <laughs> yes, there was a boss, okay, but by legal definition, he could not dictate operating instructions, daily operating instructions. So my boss would come and say, hey, Chris, if you would, I would like you to. And I would always answer in the same way. Tell you what, out of respect for him, I will be glad to do that. But with this in mind, if I find, you know, a month or two down the road, I find that this is not something that's being profitable to me. I just want you to know now I'm going to go back and do what I was doing before. And he would always say, well, that's fair, etc." Okay, that's what it means to be independent. Now, I am an employee. What's it mean to be an employee? <laughs> Bluebell has a policy, zero tolerance for cell phone use in a vehicle. Zero tolerance. I'm telling you, I get this phantom vibration going on in my leg. <laughs> all day long you know that feeling it's like uh, and you, you want to pull it out and check and before especially driving between stops I was always pulling out my phone I'm always checking my phone while I'm driving uh, and don't look at me like that okay <laughs> okay so I'm always checking my phone and so here I am now I've got this new policy and I tried to help myself by warning everybody that I know close to me that hey just you know, I can't be texting during the day. Don't expect me to answer phone calls, don't, uh, et cetera. But here it is, the first week of work. I'm alone. And I got a clock on the radio and I got a clock on the dash and both of them are wrong. <laughs> and it wasn't long before I was justifying pulling out my phone to look at the time. I was just look. I was checking the time. I wasn't... I wasn't texting, and I wasn't phoning anybody. I was check, yeah. Uh-huh. I have no problem at all obeying reasonable rules. <laughs> However, there was a guy that worked for Tombstone Pizza, and he was driving his uh, uh, truck, and they had a zero as far as seat belts were concerned. He's behind a Dillon store. There's a truck trying to get past and truck driver comes to him and says, hey, can you move your truck up 10 feet? He hops in his vehicle, moves in the parking lot, moves his vehicle 10 feet. Just so happens there was a tombstone pizza supervisor sitting right there and saw that he was not wearing his seat belt when he moved that vehicle 10 feet and they fired him on the spot. I found myself thinking, you know what, if I can justify looking at my time on my cell phone, it's not going to be long before I can justify, well, I was just driving in the parking lot. I really wasn't on the road yet. It's amazing what we can start justifying in the name of obedience and feel good about ourselves. And yet, I believe sometimes God comes and stirs us, stirs our heart to obey Him. 
And we become masters of quenching the Spirit. We become masters of justifying what we're doing. Jesus told a parable of two sons. One, he said, he says, go work in my field. And he said, of course I will. And then didn't. He came to the other one. And the other one said, not on your life. And later, regretted it and changed his mind. Had a change of mind and a change of conscience. Does God ever work on your conscience? Is there things in your life that God has shown you? You, I have asked you to obey. And closing our heart against it has caused us to close our heart against God. And it's not long before your prayer time, your time reading the Bible started becoming very shallow. Your relationship becomes very shallow. And you become very busy. Too busy. For God. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When they heard the words of Peter, what did they do? It says that the people were pricked in their heart. What have I done? The apostle uh, Paul Went back one way. He first had the Lord appear to him on the road to Damascus. How hard it is to kick against the goads. Obviously, he had been kicking against his conscience. And the Lord sent David, sent Nathan to David to tell him a story. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. I remember when it first, I first realized that the time gap between David's sin with Bathsheba and Nathan coming and confronting him was nine months. How do we know that? The baby. The baby was alive. The baby was born. Nine months. And I want to challenge you to go back to the Psalms and start reading through the Psalms and read about the songs that David wrote during that nine-month period of time. Guess what? They're not there. There were no songs that were recorded during that period of time in his life. There was no reason to sing anymore because the sin had, had hidden him from his God. And yet after, after Nathan confronted him, you go to Psalms chapter 51, and David did. David wrote, wrote a song again. And in this words of that song, Psalms 51 and verse 10, he said these words. He sang these words. Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
and renew a right spirit within me. And then down through the rest of that chapter, I want to read these words. He says in verse 12 of Psalms 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness. O oh God, the God of my salvation. And then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Then I'll have a reason to sing again, God. Oh, Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Don't live your life without a song. Without a song in your heart. Don't live your life without fellowship of, of music. And to say, I need you every hour. God, I need you in my life. God has done so much to draw us, especially through his goodness. Stand up with me, and let's sing the words of that chorus again. And we'll close by singing this. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Have a good day.